started in verse 21. I entitled this message, A Transforming Touch. And we're going to look at an, uh, an amazing miracle here. And surely we'll be able to make some applications to our lives today. Mark, the fifth chapter, beginning in verse 21, the Bible reads, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogues came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And as you read the scriptures, it's always important for you to start imagining what this must have been like. And so let your sanctified imagination think of the scene here as Jesus comes to the shore. There are literally thousands of people that are waiting to meet him. But one person in particular is waiting because he has something going on in his life and in the life of his daughter. And this is a man by the name of Jairus. His daughter is at the point of death. And he believes that Jesus has the power to heal her. And so he's waiting for Jesus to come. And the moment that Jesus steps out of that boat, he falls at his feet. Let's continue to read in verse 23. And he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. He believed in the power of Jesus to heal his daughter. And so verse 24, Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Imagine the scene here. Jairus is pressing his way through the crowd because he knows that he needs to hurry up because Jesus needs to come to his daughter while there is still hope. Yes, he believes that Jesus can heal his daughter, but he knows that, 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 that Jesus has to be on time, and his daughter is about to lose her life. And so he's pushing his way through the crowd. There are literally people thronging him on all sides, and the disciples are around Jesus trying to get, make him get his way to the house of Jairus. And it is at this time that we encounter a remarkable moment in the ministry of Jesus, a remarkable miracle of a woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years, a sickness, and she could not find any cure, and her only hope was now in meeting Jesus. And so as Jesus is making his way through the crowd and his disciples are helping him, there is a woman that wants to meet Jesus. Let's read about this as we continue here in Mark chapter 5 and verse 25. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Verse 29. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. What a remarkable miracle. Just imagine this woman. Put yourself in her situation here. She had tried everything, but instead of getting healed, she rather grew worse. Isn't that a picture of our world today? Our world is looking for healing in so many ways. You walk into a bookstore and you will find, you know, shelves and shelves of, 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 of books full uh, on, on self-help, you know, how to, how to have a better marriage, how to make more money, how to solve this, how to do that. It's all this self-help. And yet, 
with all the content there is there in books and, and all the content on the websites and all of this, there is still a void in the heart of human beings when Jesus is not in their lives. And instead of going, getting better, things often get worse. The condition of this woman is really the condition of humanity at large. And she is looking for healing. She's tried everything but in vain. And now she comes to the point in her life that she realizes there's only one solution, and that solution is Jesus Christ, and she wants to meet him. And yet this is at the very time that Jesus' ministry had become very, very popular. There were thousands of people that were thronging to meet Jesus, that wanted to be around him. And so as, as Jesus comes to the shore there, Jairus is the first one to meet Jesus. As a matter of fact, he was the ruler of a synagogue, the Bible tells us, and so he had some prominent position there. So he, he, he probably had more, um, uh, more, um, a, a better opportunity to meet Jesus. And yet this woman here does everything in her strength, everything in her power to meet with Jesus. You can just imagine as Jesus is making his way through the crowd there, she's trying to get She's trying to see him, but oh, there he was, just a little glimpse. But she continues to press through the crowd. Oh, here comes another opportunity, but no, the people got in her way. And she continues to make her way through the crowd because she knows that this is her only hope. I want you to listen for a moment as I read from the book Desire of Ages, which describes so beautifully the determination of this woman. Listen carefully. This is, this is beautifully described here in the book Desire of Ages, page 343. On the way to the ruler's house, Jesus had met in the crowd a poor woman who for 12 years had suffered from a disease that made her life a burden. She had spent all her means upon physicians and remedies only to be pronounced incurable. But her hopes revived when she heard of the cures that Christ performed. She felt assured that if she could only go to him, she would be healed. In weakness and suffering, she came to the seaside where he was teaching and tried to press through the crowd, but in vain. Again, she followed him from the house of Levi Matthew, but was still unable to reach him. She had begun to despair. Listen to this. When in making his way through the multitude, he suddenly came near where she was. So she was about to despair, but then he draws near. The golden opportunity had come. She was in the presence of the great physician. But amid the confusion, she could not speak to him nor catch more than a passing glimpse of his figure. Fearful of losing her one chance of relief, she pressed forward, saying to herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be made whole. As he was passing, she reached forward and succeeded in barely touching the border of his garment. But in that moment, she knew that she was healed. And listen to the next sentence. This is powerful. In that one touch was concentrated the faith of her life. In that one touch was concentrated the faith of her life, and instantly her pain and feebleness gave place to the vigor of perfect health. Now, when I read this, there's just one word that, I, that, that comes to my mind, and that is determination. She was determined to meet Jesus. 
She was determined that to meet him because she believed that he was the only one that could give her complete healing from that which afflicted her for so many years. And so her entire faith was concentrated in that one touch when she touched Jesus. And what I want us to talk about this morning and what I want us to study together this morning is how we can experience that kind of a touch. Because that day when Jesus was making his way through the crowd, there were many people that were touching Jesus. Continually, there were people that were, that were rubbing shoulders with Jesus and that were touching him. And, and, and as he's pressing his way through the crowd, suddenly there is a different kind of touch. It was a touch of faith. And too often, we come into the presence of God and we have a casual touch of Jesus. We, we experience something, but we don't experience the fullness of what God wants to give us. And so what I want to talk about this morning is how we can fight the fight of faith, how that we can manifest determination in following our Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and this, is also, this was also our scripture reading this morning, but I would like to go back to this passage in 1 Timothy Chapter 6 and verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. We are admonished to fight the good fight of faith. 1 Timothy 6 verse 12 tells us, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you, also, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of of many witnesses. How many of us fight the good fight of faith? You know, we are, we are willing to fight for our education because we realize that we need that in order to secure ourselves a job. We are willing to get up early in order to prepare ourselves for the exams. And, and we're willing to, to, you know, do our best in our careers but, but the question that we need to ask ourselves, and these are all good matters because we need to leave, live holistic lives in which we manifest our best, that we do our best in all things. But the question really is, how, how often do we fight for faith? How often do we put our determination into knowing Jesus? Sometimes we just think that this is something that comes naturally. And yet the Bible tells us that the Christian life is like a race. And in that race, we need to run. We need to, in order to experience all that God has in store for us, there is an effort that needs to be put forth from our side. And what I want to do is I want to look at some strategies that we can um, that we can basically uh, bring into our lives in order for us to experience what God wants us to experience in, a, in, in this transformation when we touch him. When you think about it, when we fight the good fight of faith, there are some strategies in that fight. And we're going to look at a couple of them this morning. I have six strategies. So if you're if you, if you a note taker, you can write these down. Otherwise, I hope that you'll be able to remember these so that you can um, bring these into your Christian experience, into your daily walk with the Lord. 
so that we can know how that we can have that transforming touch. Not a casual touch of Jesus, but a transforming touch. And the first strategy is found in Romans chapter 10. And we're going to use our Bibles this morning. So you turn to the book of Romans together with me. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Strategies for the good fight of faith. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. A very well-known verse. The Bible says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by, what does it say? The word of God. Now think about that for a moment. How does faith come according to this verse? By hearing and by hearing what? The word of God. How often do we take it for granted that we're going to have faith? Like, like tomorrow morning when you wake up, you probably, many of us take it for granted that, yeah, I'm going to have faith tomorrow in God. But do you know that the Bible tells us that faith comes by something? It comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. So in other words, in order for us to keep our faith alive, to keep that flame going, in order for us to not just have a casual touch of Jesus, but a transforming touch of Jesus, we need to hear the word of God. Amen? We need to study the word of God. And so many times we take it for granted. Yeah, you know, I, I know these things. But we need, just as we eat every day physical food, so we also need every day spiritual food, amen? In order to keep our faith alive. I would like to read to you another quote here, also from the Desire of Ages, and the same chapter on the miracle that we read about in Mark chapter 5. And listen to what it says. This is on page 347. The wondering crowd that pressed close about Christ realized no ex, uh, accession of vital power. But when the suffering woman put forth her hand to touch him, believing that she would be made whole, she felt the healing virtue. So in spiritual things. To talk of religion in a casual way, to pray without soul hunger and living faith avails nothing. A nominal faith in Christ, which accepts him merely as the Savior of the world, can never bring healing to the soul. The faith that is unto salvation is not a mere intellectual assent to the truth. Wow, that's quite powerful. So we need more than just an intellectual assent to the truth. If you already know the doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, you might, you know, it might be easy for us to just step back and say, well, you know, I have faith. And I know what the Bible teaches. You know, I know what happens when a person dies. And I know what the right day is to go to church. And I know this. And I know that hell is not forever. And I know that, you know, we're going to spend a thousand years in heaven. And then we're going to come back to this new earth. You can have an assent to truth. You can know the doctrines of our church. And yet, you are not experiencing the transforming power of Jesus Christ. What you need is more than an intellectual assent to the truth. What you need is a daily faith. And the Bible tells us that faith comes by the hearing of the word of God. And so we cannot just take it for granted that we know these things. God wants us to give us a daily experience with himself. And that starts in the morning when we wake up. What is the first thought that runs through our minds in the morning? Is it what we're going to do during that day or where we're going to go or who we're going to meet? Or is it, God, I want to know you. 
And I want to know you. And so do we pick up our Bibles in the morning and do we open them? Do we allow God to speak to us? My friends, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we don't spend time with the word of God in the morning, we're going to think that we're going to have faith. But actually the faith that we have is a casual faith. It's the kind of faith that you can compare in Mark chapter 5 with the people that are pressing to Jesus. They're touching him, but there was a difference when the woman with the affliction touched Jesus. And that's the kind of touch that we need. That's the kind of experience that God wants to give us. And it's the experience that we receive when we open his word in the morning and we pray and we ask God to speak to us. Another strategy for faith is to pray. And we talked about this during the, during the Sabbath school, which I really uh, appreciated. Many uh, good comments that were made about the power and importance of prayer. Now, it is so important that we pray when we study God's word because maybe you've had the experience that I have had uh, at times where in the morning you'll pick up your Bible and you have the intention to hear the word of God and you want to know him and so you open up your Bible and you start reading but, you, but, but there's nothing really that happens. You don't really feel that you're getting much out of it. Sometimes you even feel that it's just like you know black ladders on a white paper. And, and, and some of us, what happens when that occurs, we open the Word of God and we read and we don't get anything out of it and we say, okay, there, maybe there's no Holy Spirit today, let's try tomorrow. And yet, my friends, we don't fight for faith. Many times we just think, well, I didn't get anything out of it, I'll try tomorrow, I'll try something else. My friends, this is the time that we need the determination to fight for faith. And we need to pray that God will open our eyes to see wondrous things out of his law. And so there are certain prayers that you can pray when you study the word of God. And I just want to share four of them, and they're all taken directly from scripture. Uh, they are all taken from the book of Psalms. I just, want to do, I just want to share with you four simple prayers that you can pray when you study the word of God and you don't feel that you're getting anything out of it. And by the way, who has experienced that at times? You want to get something out of the Word of God? Okay, a couple of you, five of you are honest enough to say that. You want to get something out of the Word of God, but you just feel like, well, I'm, just not, I'm just not getting it. Listen to these prayers. The first one is Psalm 119, verse 36 and 37. Listen to what it says. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. That's a prayer that you can pray. As you open the word of God and you feel that your mind is going a thousand directions and you are not, being able to, you're not able to concentrate on God's revelation, pray this prayer. Incline my heart to your testimonies, to your word. And be honest with God. Be honest with God. God, my mind is going in so many different directions. Help me, help me right now to understand your word. Speak to me. Amen? Here a second prayer that you can pray. Psalm 119, verse 18. It says, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Wow, what a beautiful prayer. Simple prayer. You can memorize that prayer. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things out of your law. Amen? Another prayer that you can pray. Psalm 86, verse 11. 
Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And here, a fourth prayer. Psalms chapter 90, verse 14. Listen to this one. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. You know, there are many things in life that can satisfy us, but there's really only one thing that can truly satisfy the deepest longing of the soul, and that is God himself. God has created us with a space that only he can fill. Amen? And so let us pray that we may be satisfied by what he has for us. And so the strategies of the fight, the good fight of faith, they involve the scripture, reading the scripture, hearing the word of God, because through hearing the word of God comes faith. But then remember to pray as you read that God will show you beautiful things out of his word and that he will be able to take your mind that is going in a thousand other directions and actually bring it to his word. You can also do that as you pray. How many of you have experienced, let's see if we get a little bit more of an honest answer here now. How many of you have experienced that you start praying and soon enough you're thinking about a lot of different things? Amen. Yes. Yes, that happens to me as well. And I'm praying. I'm saying, oh, wait a minute. I was actually here praying. And I, so I, I try to bring my mind back to the things of God. And I pray. And yes, it goes, it goes well for a while. And then again, I feel that my thoughts are, are, are going in, in, in different directions. When that happens, my friends, the, prayer that, the four prayers that I just mentioned, again, pray them. Oh, Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies. Oh, Lord, open my eyes. Oh, Lord, teach me your ways. Oh, Lord, satisfy me with your mercy. Pray to God that he will be able to keep your thoughts where they belong, your thoughts on him. Don't give up. It is so many times that people will give up. They open the word of God up. Oh, no Holy Spirit today. I'll try tomorrow. They try to pray up. Oh, my, my, my mind went in, in so many different places. Oh, well, it just must be me. I'll just, you know, leave prayer to other people. It's just not my thing. This is happening too often, my friends. How come we want to fight for our education? How come we want to fight for our jobs and for our families? But when it comes to the things of God, we give up too early. And it is time for us to say, no, I'm going to fight for faith. Look at the determination of that woman there in Mark chapter 5. Oh, she saw a glimpse of Jesus, but it was not enough. She made her way through the crowd. She pressed forward. And then the golden opportunity came and she reached out her hand in faith and touched his garment. And she was healed instantly. My friends, how often do we experience that kind of a touch? Too often we have a casual touch of Jesus. Too often we, we, we come to church and, and we just casually touch him. Oh, may we, may we pray more earnestly for a transforming touch, amen? I heard a story of a couple and they just got married. And as a gift for their honeymoon, their family had pitched in and they had given them um, a, a stay in a very, very luxurious hotel. And so they looked forward to this night, this honeymoon night. They got married and they made their way to this hotel. But the moment that they opened the door of the room, they were terribly disappointed with what they saw. It was not at all what uh, they had read about or seen on the pictures. It was actually quite plain. I mean, it was okay. It was not that bad. But, I mean, to be, you know, a five-star hotel, it, it didn't, just didn't match up. And so they, uh, it was actually a kind of a couch that you could pull out 
to sleep on. And so they spent the night there, and they were kind of dis, you know, they tried to make the best out of it, but they were not happy. And so the next morning, they make their way to the counter there, and uh, they put in a complaint, and they wanted to see the manager, and the manager comes out, and they said, you know, this is not what we expected. And the manager says, I don't know what the problem is. Let's have a look at the room. And so they made their way to the room together with the manager. The manager opens up the door, and they walk in, and immediately the first thing they said is, yeah, look, this is not what we expected. And the moment they said that, the manager walks to the opposite side of the room, and there's a door that has the same color as the wall, and he opens it up, and there's this beautiful room. They spent the night in the foyer. How many times, how many times are our Bible studies in the foyer? How many times are our prayer meetings in the foyer? How many times are sermons in the foyer? My friends, we need to start opening up the door and allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal to us wonderful things out of His law. Amen? It's time for us to ask God to inspire us through his word that we may know him and know the beauty of his character. So many times we are, we are you know, satisfied with the casual touch. So many times we, we just kind of come to church and we meet a friend and we you know, have a good potluck and we have some fellowship, but we haven't really opened the door. We haven't allowed God to reveal himself to us. We haven't been, been charged up for the week and all the challenges that face us. And my friends, it's time for us to open that door to allow God to speak to us. So what are the strategies to fight the good fight of faith? The word of God. Through the hearing of the word of God comes faith. Prayer. And also, listen to this manifest enthusiasm for that which matters most, which is the Word of God. You know, I see people and they can get really, really enthused about, well, what is it here in the United States? The Super Bowl, right? <laughs> or they can get really, really excited to talk about the latest game or, or this or that. But, but do we have the enthusiasm for the Word of God that is appropriate? Let me read to you a quotation here taken from Testimonies to the Church, volume 2, page 212. When I read this, it was a rebuke to me, and I, and I believe it's a rebuke to many of us. Listen to what it says. Many who profess to be Christians become excited over worldly enterprises, and their interest is awakened for new and exciting amusements, while they are cold-hearted and appear as if frozen in the cause of God. Here is a theme, poor formalist, which is of sufficient importance to excite you. Eternal interests are here involved. Upon this theme, listen carefully, I love this. Upon this theme, the theme of salvation, it is a sin to be calm and in, unimpassioned. Wow. It is a sin to be calm and un, unimpassioned when it comes to the theme of salvation. She goes on to say, the scenes of Calvary call for the deepest emotion. Upon this subject, you will be excusable if you manifest enthusiasm. Be careful you're not sinning. Do we, do we have the appropriate enthusiasm for the things of God? Amen. I mean, 
when you think about it, salvation, the picture that the scripture gives us of what Jesus has done for us and is doing for us right now and the future he has in store for us, oh, this should call forth the deepest emotions in each one of us. She goes on to say, that Christ, so excellent, so innocent, should suffer such a painful death, bearing the weight of the sins of the world, our thoughts and imaginations can never fully comprehend. Oh, the length, the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of such amazing love we cannot fathom. The contemplation of the matchless depths of a Savior's love should fill the mind Touch and melt the soul, refine and elevate the affections, and completely transform the whole character. The language of the apostle is, I determine not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. We also may look toward Calvary and exclaim, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world." A question for you this morning. Do you manifest the enthusiasm for God that is appropriate? And if you want to know what the appropriate response is, look to the cross of Calvary. And as you look at the cross of Calvary and you see the matchless, the beautiful Son of God that took your sin upon Himself, what should be our response? Oh, my friends, we should give everything to Him. He's our greatest treasure. He, could get, he should get our deepest affections. They don't belong to the Super Bowl. They don't belong to anything else but Jesus Christ. Many of us are treating salvation like Esau treated the birthright. Remember, when you look at the two lives, you look at Jacob and his brother Esau, isn't it interesting when you look at those two and the way they treated the birthright? For Jacob, it was the contemplation day and night. As a matter of fact, I'm just reading now through the Patriarchs and Prophets, which is an amazing you know, commentary by Alan White on the story of uh, Genesis and Exodus, the beginnings there. And um, I was reading about Jacob, and, and she writes that Jacob, his contemplate, he contemplated that birthright day and night. And it was not about the earthly prophet. Uh, possession so much, but it was that he understood that he was, if he got the birthright, he was going to become the successor of the coming Messiah. And he understood that the, the gifts of God and, and the blessing of God that would rest upon receiving the birthright. And so there was just nothing else he could think about, nothing else that was more important than the birthright. And that contrary to his brother, that for a bowl of soup, gave up the birthright? And how often do we treat the gift of salvation like that? We don't see its importance. We don't understand the implications. We don't understand fully the gift that has been given to us. You all have a birthright through Jesus Christ. You can be born again, and the inheritance, my friends, is eternal life. It's eternal life. Manifest enthusiasm for that which matters most. Let's look at a fourth strategy for the fight of faith. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews and the 10th chapter. First strategy, hearing the word of God. Second strategy, prayer. Third strategy, manifest enthusiasm for what matters most. Fourth strategy, Hebrews chapter 10. Look at this one. Verse 24 and 25. Paul writing to the believers here in the first century, and he says in verse 24 and 25, 
And let us consider one another in, or, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So what Paul says is it's important to encourage one another in the faith. A strategy for us is that we are playing on the same team. Amen? We are all in this battle of life. We all, experiences, we all experience trials and challenges that are similar in nature. And we need each other in order for us to encourage one another. And it says, especially as the day is approaching. And that is talking about the coming of Christ. And that day is approaching, amen? When we look at the world around us, we are seeing the signs that are increasing both in, in intensity and frequency that Christ is coming very, very soon. And as that day approaches and the fight increases, the fight of faith, we need to encourage one another. But how many times does the church, and I'm talking about individuals, you and me, how many times instead of encouraging one another, do we actually get in the way of one another to experience that transforming touch of Christ? Just think about a couple of examples here from Scripture, where actually the church of God, the followers of Christ, got in the way for others to actually experience the, the blessings of Christ. There's, a, there's this story in Luke chapter 18 where there are children and mothers that want to come to Jesus. Now, I just want you to get a mental picture of that for a moment. Here is Jesus, and these little children are like running because they see Jesus. They've heard about him, and they want to meet him. So they're running to Jesus. The mothers are carrying their child, their children, and they want to go to Jesus to receive a blessing. And what do you think the disciples are doing? The disciples, the church of God, that is supposed to be the instrument of God to bring people to Jesus, are actually the very ones that are keeping them from coming to him. So just get the mental picture there. There is Jesus. Here are the children, you know, running to Jesus, and the disciples are trying to stop them. Oh, 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 oh. And then you, you just get the mental picture. Like one makes his way through, and so, oh, oh, stop, stop. And they look back, and, and Jesus is sitting there with the child on his lap and saying to them, if you don't become like one of these, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. Amazing. The very church of God getting in the way of people experiencing him. How about John chapter 4? <laughs> Amazing story. Jesus comes to the Jacob's well, and um, he actually he knows what is about to happen. He knows that a Samaritan woman is going to come to draw water, and he knows that he wants to give her the living water. And so what does he do? He sends his disciples away. As they are in town buying food, the woman comes, and they have this amazing conversation. You can read about it in John chapter 4. Jesus reaches out to her. He actually reveals to her that he is the promised Messiah. And just as he reveals that to her, and there's this amazing moment going on there, the disciples come back. And the disciples come back, and the Bible tells us that they didn't say anything, but they were thinking a lot. And the very expression on their faces must have shown what they were thinking. What on earth are you doing talking to this lady? She's Samaritan. You know, what a, you know they would have gotten in the way of what God, what Jesus wanted to do, and so he had to send them away. 
how many times do we get in the way of what Jesus is trying to do in the lives of people? I think of another story. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is at the feast, is at a feast at Simon's house, and Mary Magdalene comes up and anoints the feet of Jesus. You remember the story? And when the disciples find out, they, the Bible says they were indignant. They were not happy about what she was doing to Jesus. Again, they got in the way. There's another story in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus sends his disciples into the towns and cities of Samaria to go before him. And in, in, in a certain town, they get rejected. And so they come back and uh, they say to Jesus, do you want us to call fire to come down from heaven to consume them like Elijah did? To which Jesus had to kind of take them apart and say, remember, I came to save the world and not to condemn it. Isn't it amazing in all these instances, and also Mark chapter 5, the story we began with. You can just imagine the disciples, they're trying to get Jesus through the crowd. Oh, get him through the crowd. Get out of the way because Jesus needs to get through here. And when the woman came and touched Jesus, and Jesus stops and he turns around and he says, who touched me? The disciples were like, hey, you know, come on. Let's, let's, not, let's go on. We have a mission to accomplish. Everyone's touching you, Jesus. Could it be that sometimes we're so much on a mission that we lose the mission? Could it sometimes be that we're so focused on what we perceive to be God's mission that we sometimes lose the moments that God wants to work in our lives? Someone comes, has a great need. Come back next week. We have a revival planned. So we plan the coming of the Holy Spirit? Like, like, oh, just wait, because we have this evangelistic series going on. Now, I'm all for evangelism. I've, I've dedicated my life to public evangelism. But let me tell you something. Evangelism is not an event. It's a lifestyle. And, and, and when a church has evangelistic efforts, my friends, it's not about an F, the effort in and of itself, as if that's some programming that we do to invite God to work when we feel like it. No, what we need to do is open our hearts and ask God to show us whenever we can be used in His service. And so it's important to plan, yes, and it's important to strategize, yes, but it's important for us to open our hearts and ask God to use us as His vessels whenever needed. Be ready in season and out of season, the Bible says, amen? Whenever to cast your bread upon the waters, Ecclesiastes, cast your bread upon the waters, whether it rains or whether it's dry or whether it's, you know, don't look at the circumstances, be an open vessel to be used by God. But so many times we have, we are so focused on our planning and our organization and our structure that we lose out on what God actually wants to do in our lives. There are amazing passages in the Bible. I think of Acts the book of Acts, and when I read it, it kind of is, it's rebuking me because I read about Paul, and, and, the, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit forbade him in one instance to go to a certain place, and then he opened up another place where he was supposed to go. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, I wish I could live my life like that. Because so many times, you know, I'm an organized person. I like to, I like to plan ahead. I don't know how I would respond if the Holy Spirit would say, oh, don't go there, go there, especially if I've already booked my ticket. But I need to be open to that kind of a guidance. What do you say? I mean, yes, I don't wanna, I want to take away anything of the importance of planning. I mean, some of us just need to get more planned in our life. 
But even though we plan, even though we strategize, even though we put on events, let not that take away from our daily need of being ready to be used by God. Amen? Wherever or whenever he wants to use us. So that we as the people of God will not be a hindrance of people coming to Christ, but rather that we will be the ones that will encourage, as it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, encourage one another, stir up love in one another. Oh, bring them to Jesus. Amen? This is what the early church, there had to be a transformation in the thinking of the disciples. And for many of us, there needs to be a transformation in our lives so that we can bring people to Jesus. And when you bring them to Jesus, you're going to experience a great blessing yourself. Amen? And we have that opportunity now. I mean, what a blessing to see a church like this that is putting on these programs that is actually giving you the opportunity to tap into God's work. Amen? So that you can bring people to the health meetings of Dwayne Lemon. That was a wonderful blessing. I was here. I loved it. And that you can also bring people to this evangelistic series. Amen? I mean, what a blessing if all of us would be involved in, 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 in bringing people to hear the Word of God. I want to encourage you to do that. Come yourself. You know, by the way, let me just back up a little bit. One of the points that I said was enthusiasm for God's Word. If you say to someone, there's a great meeting going on, you should go, but you don't go yourself because you think that you already know the stuff and so you've already heard it 10 times or 100 times. I don't need to hear Daniel 2. I know Daniel 2 already. I know that the head of gold is, is Nebuchadnezzar and all that, all that stuff, so I don't need to go. But if you tell someone else to go and you don't go yourself, is that manifesting enthusiasm? <laughs> it's kind of pathetic, actually. Someone else is going and they come to the meeting and you're not there. What do you think they're going to think? Like, oh, okay, it was not that important. Right? I mean, if we're going to encourage others to know this book, we better make sure that we're there where the word is preached, amen? And, the, and so that we together may experience the blessing that God has in store for us. Amen. And so we'll be looking at some of these strategies, and I have one more left before we close. So let, let's review this very shortly. The word of God, hearing the word of God increases our faith, so we must study God's word, strategy for faith, pray, when your mind is going in a thousand directions, pray that God will bring you back to where it, is, where it belongs. Then manifest enthusiasm for what matters most. Take salvation serious and let it fill your heart with, with joy that only God can give you. And then also, as we've looked at here in, in our study together, um, encourage one another in the faith. That is a strategy, my friends. Make sure that you are not hindering others from experiencing Christ but that you are encouraging them to experience Christ. And that last but not least, live in the world of faith. Too often, too often, we live in two worlds. We have the world during the week, which is what we perceive to be the real world. You know, what we put on in the morning, the car we drive, the food we eat, the friends we have, the job we have. This is the real world. And then kind of once a week we will step into another world. And that's the world of faith. Oh, yes, once a week I can hear about angels and miracles and God. But the rest of the week I want to also live in the real world because after all, you know, here I am. My friends, this kind of religious experience is going to leave you with only a casual touch of Jesus. If you want a transforming touch of Jesus, you must abandon what I like to call, and I hope you remember this, what I like to call the just-in-case theology. The just-in-case theology is like this. 
you know, I'm in the church, but, you know, the world is really attractive, and I also want to experience the world just in case. So, yeah, I, I can be here in the church, but, but just in case, you know, this whole, you know, Bible thing is not true, just in case Jesus doesn't come back, or just in case there's not eternal life, or just in case, let me put one foot in this world, and I'll keep one foot in the church, because I don't want to be fully in the world, because just in case it is true, I want to be part of that as well. This is what I call the just-in-case theology. My friends, there are millions of Christians that live their lives like that. I'll be over here, but just in case, I want to get the best out of this world. But as I get the best out of the world, I also really want the eternal life, so I'll put also a foot in the church. And my friends, the Bible leaves no room at all for the just-in-case theology. As a matter of fact, Paul puts it this way. He says, you know, if the resurrection is not true, we're the most pitiable men of all. You know, if it's not true, then it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. But if it is true, it's everything. Amen? So, so what I want to encourage you to do is take you both of your feet, spiritually speaking, and plant them in the Word of God. Amen? This will not disappoint you. And by the way, this is the only real world. This is the only real world. That world that you perceive to be real, oh, my friends, the real world was described here. We are living in a great controversy. Yes, there is an enemy at work. Yes, there is a sa the Savior has come 2,000 years ago. He did die for you. He did, he did die for you, and he was resurrected for you. He is resurrected for you, and he is ministering right now for you in the heavenly sanctuary. I mean, this is not some fairy tale stuff. This is reality. And what a beautiful, wonderful reality. The tomb is empty. Death is conquered. Victory is yours. And you can take hold of that. And you can say, I I'm not into this just-in-case theology. I'm into a theology that believes every single revelation of God, and I believe we're living in a great controversy. I believe Jesus paid for my sins and that I have been set free. I believe that he's ministering right now in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. I believe that he will soon come again, and I want to be part of his people. What do you say? I pray that that will be your experience and that you will experience the transforming touch of Jesus. Don't settle for a casual touch. Open the door. There's a beautiful room. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this morning for your word. I want to thank you that we have so many promises that you have given to us of your glory and of your plan for each one of us. Lord, Help us to take these promises and treat them not like Esau treated the birthright, but like Jacob treated the birthright, that he wanted it more than anything else, and that he pursued it with all his energy and all the determination that he could muster, like the woman that touched you, pressing through that crowd, waiting for the golden opportunity. Lord, help us not to let these golden opportunities pass. Lord, what a blessing that we can be part of a church that is evangelistic-minded. What an opportunity to be part of these efforts to bring people to your feet. Lord, help us not to let these opportunities go by, but to use these golden opportunities to bring glory to your name and to see people saved by your grace. 
And so we pray that you will stir in our hearts a longing for yourself, a longing that surpasses any other desire. Oh, Lord, you are so much more, and you are worth everything. And so let us put our greatest efforts forth to know you, to experience the beauties of your salvation. And I pray that you'll be with each one of us and that you will speak to us continually and that we will hear your voice. And we thank you for this Sabbath day. Bless the remaining of this Sabbath. And I also pray for our program going on tonight and in the course of this week and the next, that you will use it as a, as a ways, as a means to reach people in this city. For we ask this in your precious name, in the name of Jesus. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.